Good morning. My name is Isaac. Today's Bible passage is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 27. To, someone who, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Heavenly Father, do please help us to understand your word now and help us to respond rightly to the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I used to love wrestling with my children. When they were little, I could hold them down. I could even hold them down with one hand and tickle them with the other hand. I could roll around with them. Great fun. But since then, two things have happened. Uh, number one, they've gotten big and strong. And number two, I've gotten old and frail. Nowadays, I only need to breathe the wrong way and I put my back out. Nowadays, I can wake up in the morning and somehow I pulled a muscle in my sleep. Don't ask me how. I'm not one to easily admit defeat. I kept on wrestling with my kids until they were well into their teens. But there came a point where I had to say, I can't do it. It's impossible. I can't beat my kids in a wrestle anymore. I had to despair of being able to beat my children in a wrestle. There are some things that we just cannot do. 
They're impossible for us. As, as much as I might want to be, I'm never going to be a rock star. Apparently, you need to be able to sing or play an instrument. Um, I'm never going to play rugby for Australia. And I can't wrestle my children anymore. Some things are impossible. Well, here in our studies in Luke today, Jesus tells us about something that is impossible, something we cannot do. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it. Now, there are three scenes, three scenes in this section of Luke's gospel. Three scenes. Scene number one, uh, Jesus is telling a parable. And notice who he's telling the parable to. He's telling it to people who literally trust in themselves that they are righteous. Uh, they think they're okay with God on their own. Uh, they, they think they're right with God because of the stuff that they have done. And, and what they do, they compare themselves to other people and they think, well, compared to that person, I should be okay. They look at other people and they think, well, at least I'm better than that person. In comparison with that person, I'm righteous. Hopefully I'll be okay with God. In the parable, two men go to the Jewish temple. And you could, could not get two more different men than these two. Uh, one of them, from a human perspective, is a pinnacle of righteousness. He's uh, a Pharisee, a, a Jewish religious leader. If he were around today, he'd be um, president of the Rotary Club, highly regarded in his profession, a model family man, a pillar of the church, the sort of person everyone respects as a man of God. The other man is the sort of person everyone hates. He's a tax collector. Now, even today, most people don't love tax collectors. Um, but back in those days, remember, they weren't giving their taxes to a nice government who paid for their roads and their hospitals and stuff. No, no. They gave their taxes to the country that had conquered them, to the Romans. But tax collectors, they weren't Romans. They were Jews who had bought the rights from the, Roman Emperor, uh, from the Roman Empire to an area. And they were allowed to collect taxes from their own people to give to the Roman oppressors. They were, they were traitors against their own country. But what was worse is they would make themselves rich by taking more than the Romans asked for and then give some to Rome and keep some for themselves. So they were stealing money from their own people to make themselves rich by betraying their people to, to, to the Roman Empire. Well, both men come to the temple and they pray very, very different prayers. The Pharisee, he is confident in his own righteousness. And so he doesn't, he doesn't really ask God for anything. He just thanks God. He doesn't ask God to forgive him. He doesn't ask God to make him righteous, to justify him. He just thanks God that he's better than the tax collector. But the tax collector realizes that he's a sinner. He realizes he's unrighteous before God. He realizes he's no better than anyone else. He's not able to save himself. And so he asks God for mercy. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Let's have a look together. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I know you know the end of the story already, but you put yourself in the situation of Jesus' original hearers. Who would you expect went home that day right with God? The kind of the, 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 the pillar of the church, the, the president of the Rotary Club who put $500 in the offering plate? Or the scummy traitor who snuck in after the first hymn and snuck out before, before the last hymn? Jesus says only one of the men went home right with God that day, and it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. And why? Because you can't justify yourself. It's impossible. You're not righteous enough. The only way to be right with God, the only way to be justified, is if God has mercy on you, if he mercifully forgives and justifies you. And so Jesus' message is this. Don't be confident in your own righteousness. Don't compare yourself to other people and think, well, compared to them, I'm okay. You're not. You can't make yourself right with God. It is impossible. Instead, what we all need to do, like the tax collector, is humble ourselves before God and ask for his mercy. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the second scene, people are bringing little babies to Jesus. Jesus' disciples tell them to go away, but Jesus rebukes them. He accepts the little children, and he says something vitally important. He says... He says, you have to be like a little baby to get into God's kingdom. If you won't receive the kingdom of God like a little baby, you won't get to be in it at all. Verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little baby, like a little child, will never enter it. What do you think Jesus means there? What does it mean that only people like little babies can get into heaven? I'm going to give you 20 seconds to think about it. Okay, Just silently in your own mind. Don't, don't say anything to anybody else because they'll, they'll think that you, they got your answer. Okay, just silently in your own mind, but, but come to a conclusion in your own mind. Okay, 20 seconds. What does Jesus mean when he says you have to receive the kingdom of God like a little baby? You've got to be like a little baby to enter God's kingdom. What's your answer? 20 seconds. Got an answer in your head? Yeah, got an answer? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a little baby? Some people think it means you have to be innocent like a little baby. Or you have to be trusting like a little baby. I suspect it's people who don't have kids who think these things. 
Um, certainly people who didn't have my children who think these things because my children were neither innocent nor trusting. I think Jesus means something slightly different. And to show you what I think he means, I'm going to do an experiment. Now, in order to do this experiment, I need to borrow a baby. Um, is there a parent here who doesn't mind donating their baby for theological experiments? Oh, excellent. Thank you. She should, most, nearly all of the babies who I've done this with have survived, so she should be okay. Um, This is Sari. You're so beautiful, aren't you? I've just got a couple of little questions for you, Sari. Sarah, I've got a little bit of a sore throat from, from all this preaching. I'm wondering if you can just pop down the kitchen and make me a cup of tea, please. Can you make me a cup of tea down the kitchen, please? Okay, well, a, cup, a cup of tea might be a little bit too difficult. Just a glass of water, okay? Just pop down the kitchen and grab me a glass of water for my, for my throat. Is that okay? All right, well, just hop down and go back to Dad then. Thank you very much. She's very, very beautiful, but she's completely useless. She can't do anything. She's totally helpless. Friends, that's what Jesus means here. When it comes to getting into God's kingdom, we're like little babies. We are useless. We can't do it ourselves. It's impossible for us. We need someone to do it for us. We need someone to get us into God's kingdom. You see the point? People who try to get themselves into God's kingdom will fail. God's kingdom can only be for people who realize that they are helpless. For people, well, for people like the tax collector. For people who will despair of their own righteousness and ask God for mercy. Okay, so that's two scenes. Remember the two scenes we've had so far? First scene was the Pharisee and the tax collector, remember? And second scene was the helpless babies. Brings us to scene number three. Scene number three. Uh, the next scene we meet a ruler of the Jews. Now again, this guy here is meant to be kind of the ultimate man, the, the ideal religious Jew. He is upright, he's upright, he's law-abiding, he's godly. And we're going to see in a moment, God has blessed him with wealth in the promised land. Like God promises to bless faithful, godly Jews in the promised land. Here is a godly, faithful Israelite, blessed by God. From a religious perspective, if anyone could be confident in their own righteousness, it is this man. If anyone could earn eternal life for, the, for himself, it's this man. If anyone could look around and compare himself to other people and go, well, I'm better than that person, it's this man. But still he's worried that something might be missing. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks what he needs to do to get eternal life for himself. Verse 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus warns him that no one is good. I don't think Jesus is saying he isn't good. He's saying just Think carefully before you think you can do anything to inherit eternal life. 
He's warning him. And then he says, what you need to do, you need to keep God's law. You want eternal life, you would need to obey the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And the man reckons he's done it. Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with him about it. Jesus could have argued with him about it. You only need to look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, well, you think you haven't committed adultery? If you've even looked lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery. You think you haven't committed murder? If you've even been angry with someone, you've committed murder. Or if you go back a few chapters in Luke to the parable of the Good Samaritan, where do you remember that somebody else asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he tries to limit it by saying, well, who is my neighbor? If it's the person next door, maybe I'm okay. But remember, Jesus says, no, your neighbor is anybody who needs you, even your enemy. Jesus could have argued the point with him about whether he's kept and obeyed God's law, but he doesn't do it because the point is this. This is actually a very, very good man we are talking about here. Luke wants to see him as the best possible example. So Jesus doesn't argue Instead, what he does, he calls on this man to do what he's been telling everyone else to do, to deny himself, pick up his cross, leave everything behind, and follow Jesus to Jerusalem. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But the ruler won't do it. It's too much to ask. He won't give up everything to follow Jesus. Verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And then Jesus points out how difficult it is. He says, it's very, very difficult for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, it's impossible. Like squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. Verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to quickly demonstrate what Jesus is saying here so there's no confusion um, because there's been lots of false teaching about finding gates called the eye of the needle and that kind of thing and saying people can get through. Let Let me just show you what Jesus means. So here, here I have a camel. This is actually quite a small camel as far as camels go. I don't know if you've ever seen a real camel. They're much bigger than this. Um, And this, don't worry about the needle in his neck, it's just kind of acupuncture for a sore hump or something like that. Um, This is a needle. Sorry, it's a bit far away. It's actually a very big needle. Uh, Even I, with my presbyopia, can see the uh, hole in this needle. So here's the experiment. Jesus says getting a rich person into heaven is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. 
How do you like my chances? Upside down. When I was at Chatswood, someone said if we put the camel in the blender, uh, that, that might work. Um, but I don't think that's what Jesus means. Okay, I, I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? Okay, you can't do it. It's impossible. But the thing is this, the thing is this. When we hear Jesus say, it's impossible for a rich person to get into heaven, we think, well, that's because they're rich and obviously greedy and corrupt. And hopefully I'm not that rich, so it is possible for me. But notice that is not the way that the people who heard Jesus heard what he was saying. Remember, for a Jew in God's promised land, being rich is a sign that God has blessed you. This man is meant to be an example of the very best kind of person, not a greedy, rich, corrupt person, but a godly, faithful Jew blessed by God in the promised land. If there's anyone who could be confident in his own righteousness, it's this man. And so from the perspective of the people who were there, if this man can't get himself into heaven, well, then I've got no chance. No one can get themselves into heaven. Verse 26, those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? And notice carefully how Jesus responds. He says, it's impossible. It's impossible for people. It's impossible for man. It's impossible for you. No one can get themselves into heaven. Verse 22, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man? You see what Jesus is saying there? It's the same point he made about the tax collector and the Pharisee. It's the same point he made about the helpless baby. No one can get themselves into heaven. There is nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. It is beyond our reach. We are not good enough. Getting yourself into heaven is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It's like asking a baby to make you a cup of tea. It's impossible. But what Jesus says here is also the greatest news ever. It's not possible for people to get themselves into heaven but it is possible for God. Verse 27 again, Jesus replied what is impossible with man is possible with God. And as we work our way through the rest of Luke's gospel we see the way that God has made it possible. It is through this journey to Jerusalem that Jesus is taking. It is through his dying on the cross in our place to take our sin away. It is through his rising again from the dead that God makes the impossible possible. Okay. Can you see what's here then in this, uh, in this part of Luke's gospel? Three scenes. Do you remember the three scenes? Scene number one was, do you remember the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple? Okay. What was the big idea? The only way to be justified before God is to not be confident in your own righteousness, but to ask him for mercy. Scene number two, the helpless baby. It's only people who acknowledge their utter helplessness and ask God to get them into his kingdom, who can get to heaven. And then scene number three was the 
rich ruler, what can he do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Not even the very, very best person can do anything to inherit eternal life. It can only be given to us as a free gift through Jesus dying and rising again for us. God has made the impossible possible. All right, let's just very briefly think about applying this passage to ourselves. The application is very simple, I think, isn't it? What we need to do is this. We need to admit to God that we can't get ourselves to heaven. And we need to ask him to give us a place in heaven through Jesus, through his life, death and resurrection. We can't earn our way in. We can't buy our way in. We can't obey our way in. We can't religion our way in. We're not good enough. It's impossible. Like me beating my children at a wrestle or being a rock star or getting into the wallabies, we need to despair of saving ourselves, give up, admit defeat, don't put confidence in our own righteousness, ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Have you ever done that? I mean, I I know we do it at the beginning of each service, we prayed the Lord's Prayer today, didn't we? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, I know we say it week after week in church, but have you ever genuinely, in your own heart, before God said, I'm not good enough for heaven? I can't make it myself. I need Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me and give me a place in heaven. Have you done it? I hope you have, because Jesus says if you haven't, you won't be in heaven. It is only the Pharisee, sorry, it is only the tax collector who goes home justified. It is only the helpless baby who has the place in the kingdom Impossible for man, possible only for God. Friends, Jesus has done the impossible. Let's rely on him. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. We thank you that he died on the cross in our place to bear our sin and judgment. Thank you that he rose again from the dead and now offers eternal life to everyone who relies on him. Father, we acknowledge that it is impossible for us to inherit eternal life. We are sinners who have never perfectly loved you. We rely on Jesus alone. We ask you to please forgive us, cleanse us, and accept us into your kingdom by your grace and mercy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.